again and welcome to episode 115 of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Just Good News, journal entry number 13. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's episode, let me remind you, as I always do, where you can find our podcast. You can find us at beboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed, on iHeartRadio at B.BoomerUnleashed. And you can find our link on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram at Be Boomer Unleashed, and on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleash One. As always, we encourage you to drop us an email at BeBoomerUnleashed at gmail.com. Once again, that's BeBoomerUnleashed at gmail.com with your comments, your questions, your criticisms, and suggestions for future episodes. And if you'd like to uh, be a guest on the Be Boomer Unleashed podcast, we'd love to have you uh, come tell your story. Or if you know someone who should be telling theirs, let us know about it, and we'll do our best to get you or your friend on the podcast. Well, today's episode 115, Just Good News, journal entry number 13, is part one of a two-part interview with uh, Barry Smith, an old, old friend of mine who uh, used to be uh, a native of Huntington, West Virginia. Well, he's still a native of Huntington, West Virginia, I guess, but he's transplanted to Tennessee. And we're going to talk uh, to Barry today and uh, next week uh, in part two of the episode about his testimony about how God has miraculously changed his life to uh, make his life a story of good news instead of a story of bad news. Now, I will tell you this, that uh, in these interviews, one of the microphones that I was recording with had a little chirp in it, and every once in a while there's a little chirp, and fortunately it was my feed, and uh, I don't talk nearly as much in this episode as Barry does, so it was a little chirp in my feed, and I just wanted you to know that because it's not Barry or I eating a carrot or chomping on a piece of candy or something. It's a little glitch in the microphone, so wanted to tell you about that before we got uh, started into the episode today. Now, I hope everyone had a great Easter, my, my great holiday, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope you and yours had a wonderful Easter time together. Well, listen, without further ado, we're going to our uh, recorded interview with Brother Barry Smith. Well, we have a very special guest with us today, uh, young man by the name of Barry Smith. Actually, he's an old guy. He's an old codger like me, and uh, Barry and I have been friends for a very, very long time. And uh, Barry was in the ministry for a number of years. I guess you're always in the ministry once you're in the ministry. And he uh, he and I used to own a little print shop together, and we, uh, you know, ate a lot of donuts together back in the years, back in the day. And uh, he uh, has a great son uh, that... Uh, Certainly uh, took his uh, uh, brains and his looks after his mother, but we'll we'll not dwell there. But anyway, uh, he uh, he has a son named Seth, and I'm sure he'll tell you a little bit about uh, Seth as we go along. But he married uh, his uh, wife's name is Brenda, and uh, what a tremendous help she's been to him over the years, and and what a blessing she's been to many. Uh, 
And uh, so uh, we uh, we have Barry with us today. He's got an exciting uh, story to tell us. And uh, Barry, welcome to Be Boomer Unleashed. Good to have you with us. Thank you, brother. Happy to be here. I'm just happy to be anywhere as old as I am, you know. Right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Barry and I uh, met, oh, probably back... Oh, I'm guessing it was about 1972, 73, somewhere along in there, down at Souls for Christ Baptist Church. That was back in the days when we were meeting in an old store building. And uh, he and uh, Brenda came to church one night. But I'm not going to steal his thunder and tell his story. But, uh, Barry, tell us a little bit about, uh, about that uh, son of yours and about your family and about your move to Tennessee. Old West Virginia boy, never thought I'd see you moving to Tennessee, but boy, you did. So tell us, tell us a little bit about your family down there, Barry. All right. Well, uh, I'm married to, uh, Brenda Brown. She was a Huntington, Huntingtonian West End girl. And as the old saying goes, uh, she was the proverbial junkyard dog when I met her (laughs) years old. And, uh, uh, the truth is she literally lived in a junkyard in the west end of Huntington. In those days, uh, the west end was very, uh, I guess you might say, it was somewhat of a dangerous part of town. There were all kinds of honky-tonks up and down 14th West. She lived over against the uh, the flood wall next to the mighty Ohio River uh, and lived in a duplex house adjoined to a junkyard. And uh, so uh, she was a tough little girl, raised between two brothers, a couple of hoodlums <laughs> in the West End, and uh, sort of impoverished and apparently learned to be content with whatever it was that uh, her mom and her dad were able to provide with her. Uh, we started dating at the age of 13. Uh, she was 13, and of course, I'm three years older than her. And the thing that drew me to her was that uh, she was at the Olympic swimming pool. And uh, it happened that some young guy uh, had picked her up and tossed her into the Olympic pool after she had changed her clothes and and, uh, was getting ready to leave. And she came out of there and let him have it. (laughs) Uh, Not one to to take... uh, much bullying off of anybody and I, I won't go into the details but just let me know that she cut the, the sky blue with some of her choice words and and let this let this guy have it and i just happened to be sitting on a garbage can at the time and watched this little redhead go to uh, go to work on this and tune this guy up uh so I, it really attracted me and the reason I think it did was because at that point in my life, I was a homeless guy myself living in a chicken house and eating out of garbage cans. And uh, it just seemed like there was a symbiotic relationship developing right there, uh, even though we didn't even know each other. That's, uh, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. So you, th- you think that red hair had anything at all to do with... Uh, with oh, her tuning this guy up. <laughs> Even to this very day, she can melt your skin to look at you when you've done uh, So, you know, a godly woman at the same time 
uh, has the ability to give you a look that just will uh, let you know right away that she's not messing around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> How long you guys been married, Brother Barry? Uh, that's the kind of question that a woman will ask her husband. <laughs> always puts you makes you nervous when that happens we've been married 52 years right That's, you didn't think i knew that did you well i was hoping you didn't <laughs> we're just standing right here in the doorway yeah. looking at, and if i'd have missed that one then you know i'd be living hard the rest of the day yeah, that might have put an early end to this interview <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well, Sherry and I hit 48 years, March 3rd, so we, uh, we've we been at it almost as long as you have. That's wonderful, isn't it? Nowadays, yeah, yeah. That, that's a sight to see anymore. We're a very small number out there, brother. Very small yeah. number. Yeah, I think so. So tell us about uh, tell us about Ted Boyers. What's he been into? Well, uh, Seth, uh, our son, uh, was uh, raised... I guess you might say a country boy. Right. Uh, plant shirts, blue jeans. When uh, Seth was born, he was severely uh, crippled. Uh, his feet were turned around completely backwards he was born. And uh, the likelihood that he would not be grossly pigeon-toed was a real possibility. Uh, fortunately, we had a doctor, and if, if you understand the way doctors used to be they were really good at diagnosing things without all the uh, the high-tech electronics that he nowadays but he recognized that had a problem with his feet and of course that was fairly easy to see because when you put seth on his belly in the crib his feet stuck straight up in the air <laughs> so the doctor recommended that they uh, I guess for a lack of a better way to describe it, they cranked his feet around where they belong. Oh, wow. But you have no idea how he tolerated that. And they taped up his feet uh, around the ankles, and they put uh, a, a night bar on him, uh, which was an aluminum bar that kept his feet frontward and all taped up. And truthfully, he looked more like a coat hanger than he did a, a little kid, you know. Yeah. Hang hang him in the closet in there like a coat. <laughs> we didn't do that. But, that's what <laughs> but uh, we were convinced that uh, he would more than likely never uh, develop any interest in sports or anything because he'd more than likely never be able to run or walk or anything like that, like normal kids. But truth is, he grew up uh, out in... Uh, the country and ran the hills and and uh, uh, dressed up like Indians and played army and did all that kind of stuff and eventually uh, he went into various kinds of sports, uh, which to me was uh, kind of heartbreaking because to be honest with you, I didn't know anything about sports and I was pretty convinced that I'd never be able to uh, to be a good dad to a son because I didn't know anything about sports. Um, but he became somewhat of a young athlete and everything, and um, he went to a Christian school until he was in about the ninth grade. And then he began to develop this steely ball-bearing look in his eyes because of all the, um, 
all the commandments that he had to put up with and try to keep in order to be a good Christian boy. <laughs> and uh, we pulled him out and put him in Vincent High School, which is a very small school in the west end of Huntington. I doubt if they graduated more than 50 students in the senior class or anything, but uh, Seth did very well in school. Uh, I remember during the last playoff game for Vincent baseball that a lot of the, a lot of his friends after the game, uh, which they won incidentally, uh, they were out there on the pitcher's mound collecting up uh, handfuls of dirt off the pitcher's mound uh, to save as reminders of their uh, sports in the school and everything like that. And I said, well, Seth, are you going to go out there and, and get you a sample of dirt to, to carry with you and put on the mantle? And he said, Dad, I'm moving on. I've got plans. And so he... Uh, uh, he did an interview with a scout for Brown University. He was hoping to be able to get into uh, an Ivy League school, uh, primarily in the field of physics and math. And uh, he made no bones about it. He told Seth, uh, well, I'm sorry, Seth, but you really don't have anything that we're looking for right here. And uh, so that didn't seem to diminish his zeal at all and he went to Virginia Tech and uh, he he graduated from Virginia Tech about a year early because he was taking some classes at Marshall at the same time that he was going to high school which kind of moved him ahead of the pack uh, academically and uh, ended up with uh, two degrees one in physics and one in math and uh, went beyond a he, he, just circumvented his master's degree and went straight to Johns Hopkins and worked on his PhD there and uh, became an, uh, uh, a professor at Johns Hopkins and then took a job at Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, that's pretty much what the draw was. He and his wife uh, began uh, starting a family and they had a little girl first then they had a little boy and uh, they were discovering that it's a handful to try to take care of two children when uh, you are a professional working you know in the science field and long hours and and his wife Tiffany who was a Barbersville girl she's from the East End and uh, she was a physician's assistant uh, trained at Alderson Broadus in West Virginia and went to work as a physician's assistant and their hours of work were long and they had these two young babies and they needed help. Right. Well, at the time, Brent and I were working the streets in Huntington with a little street ministry called Link Up Ministries. And uh, uh, when Seth and Tiffany uh, called for us to, to see if we would be willing to come down and help them with the grandbabies, uh, we were of the opinion that the Lord was in that decision, and we moved down here and got a house in Gallatin, Tennessee, which is just about 15 minutes from where Seth and Tiffany live in a in a nice neighborhood called Hendersonville, just all maybe 20 minutes outside 
of uh, Nashville. And so Seth is a uh, research scientist at uh, Vanderbilt. And Tiffany is a physician's assistant uh, in a hospital called TriStar. She's a surgical assistant, uh, sews people's tongues back on and all kinds of things like that. And they have a little girl. She's the older one, and her name is Isla. Uh, spelled, I can't hardly say that. I'm hillbilly. <laughs> I-S-L-A. Yeah. And the little boy's name is Lick. And uh, both of those are beginning to manifest that they've gotten a lot of interest in school and, and uh, sports and things like that. And so Brendan and I are here uh Pretty much just helping them to fill the gap because of all the long hours where they work. And and uh, uh, we still attempt to work the streets uh, here in Nashville, although uh, a lot of homeless people here in Nashville live in the woods. And it's not the same as homeless people in Huntington who live along the riverbank. Right. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that's why we're here in Nashville. The big transition there was kind of help them, you know, raise the kids because of the kinds of occupations that they have. Well, that's awesome. You know, it's um, we'll do amazing things for our grandkids and our kids. That's for sure. Uh, you know, our son Andy, he's pastor up in northern Ohio, and um, he. Um, um, I think it's my microphone making that noise. I, I think I've got a microphone problem, so you listeners out there, you're just going to have to forgive me because I've got a little bit of a microphone issue. But we're going to let Barry do most of the talking, so it really won't uh, really won't matter anyway. But uh, my son's pastor up in northern Ohio, and he's got three of our grandkids held hostage up there. So Sherry and I tried to get up that way. We bought us a little place up there three years ago, and... We uh, we try to get up there and uh, and see the kids as uh, well at least once a month. Matter of fact, we're going up later this week for about a week and uh, I do that. But it's amazing what you'll do for your kids and your grandkids. And you know, I, I think it's wonderful that uh, you all are able to do that. Um, Barry, let's talk a little bit about your testimony. And uh, you told us a little bit about Brenda. Told us about Seth, and I know that uh, you haven't always, and, and, and I will say this, not trying to puff you up or anything, but uh, you're one of the best Bible teachers I've ever been associated with. I've really appreciated uh, what you, uh, what we've been able to glean from your teachings over the years, and you've written books on purposeful Bible study, and you've uh, helped a lot of folks along the way. As a matter of fact, I uh, thank you had a conversation with my son sometime back. He, he kind of connected with you, and he appreciated that. But um, hadn't always been that way, has it, Barry? You didn't grow up at the foot of the cross. Uh, you uh, weren't one of these little kids that was raised up in a Baptist church and Baptist-born and Baptist-bred. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you were and how where God has brought you today. I mean, you know, you paint this picture of where you are today, and I think it's great. Uh, wasn't just necessarily an easy road getting there, was it, brother? No, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I know, I know. You know, that makes that becomes your fabric and equips you to do the things that the Lord has sent you out to do, you know. 
Kind of like what, uh, kind of like what uh, Joseph told his brothers. He said, "You know, you intended this for bad, but God used it for good." And and you know, that's uh, you know, we don't always understand that pathway. Um, you know, Andy, our Andy, uh, he went through a lot of stuff getting to where he was, and he was raised up in a church, but you know, he had to, he had to get some knots on his head along the way. Uh, to really uh, get him where God could, uh, God could really use him. But God, you know, God's got a sense of humor. He uses some of us, and I don't have any idea why he does, but uh, I think maybe just to show that he's God. But uh, like I say, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but uh, tell us a little bit about this journey. Well, uh, since we're, you know, since you introduced the idea right there that... Uh, According to what we understand in 2 Timothy 1 9, it says that uh, we are saved uh, even before time began for purposes that belong to God. Right. And uh, uh, I used the term fabric just a few moments ago. Uh, you know, everything that we experience as followers of Christ, we have had sovereign input it looks like uh, like the Lord has put thread by thread into us uh, and woven us into something that is compliant to what his purposes in life are and I'd have to say that became evident or obvious to me at the age of 13 that something was going on here that I didn't quite understand uh, I came home from school at the age of 13. I, uh, we used to call it a junior high school. They call it middle school now. But I came in from school, and uh, my mom met me on the back porch of the house where we lived on 28th Street in Huntington. And uh, she said to me, Barry, I want you to leave, and I never want to see you again. Wow. And... She walked in the house, and the loudest noise I ever heard in my life was when she shut the door and bolted the latch on the door. And I just stood there. I, I, I can recall to this very day, just standing on the back porch thinking, well, what do I do now? Uh, where do I go? How do I live? You know? And uh, so I left. And it happened that my friend, who lived two doors away from the house on 28th Street, he literally had a chicken house out behind his uh, the home where he lived. Uh, it was a former chicken house. It didn't actually have chickens in it, but it was just a little shed out there. And uh, I learned uh, how to get into that little chicken house. And so, beginning at about the age of 13, uh, I would uh, reach into the garage where my friend's dad kept the keys hanging, and I would sneak into the chicken house, and that was where I lived uh, all through my junior high school years and all the way up into uh, the 11th grade. Uh, and... I didn't have what you might call a lot of the resources that many young people have. 
uh, developed a, a pretty keen sense of how to steal food. And there were times when I slept in the uh, post office because the post office stayed open all night and I learned that I could crouch down behind the trash can in the post office and survive the cold that way. And as I grew, uh, bowling alleys had uh, uh, ketchup on the counter and I knew that I could get courtesy cups and fill it full of warm water and squirt ketchup uh, in the uh, water and start with my finger and essentially make tomato soup and and uh, found an old mattress in an alley and dragged it and put it in uh, in the chicken house so I could lie on it and sometimes lie up underneath it because the weather, the weather was so cold and pretty much just became a, a street dweller myself, you know. Uh, I didn't have to give account of myself to anybody. Uh, literally in school, whenever they would hand me my... Uh, report card uh, i would just turn it over and sign it right in front of the teacher and hand it back to him because all my teachers knew that i was a homeless kid um, i'd say the the thing that came along that uh, god really used was shortly after becoming homeless uh, i became a drunk uh, i was sort of hanging out with guys who drank an awful lot. They were a good deal older than me, and they, they used to keep their their stash of uh, beer and liquor in an old 1948 Ford. And uh, so at an early age, I became a drunk and alcoholic, and I was one of those falling-down drunk kind of guys. If I got enough in me, I, I couldn't even hardly walk and stagger around an old place. And so uh, I kept skipping school uh, didn't have any reason to go to school uh, it makes it kind of a hard life when uh, uh, when you wear the same clothes to school every day and your face is covered with zits because of poor hygiene and when you're malnourished and only weigh about 79 pounds and and don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here whining and crying about these things and I don't think I did even back in those days either uh, I'm just describing to you that uh, homelessness uh, changes things in your life. And uh, then along came the drinking. Then the Vietnam era hit. And my buddy, all drafted, and I tried joining the military. Vietnam was in full uh, sway at that time, and they all got drafted to go to Vietnam. <laughs> I tried joining the military and they gave me six physicals and failed me each time because I had uh, what they called traces of sugar, so I couldn't pass the physical. And that left me to sit in bars and cantinas and listen to Engelbert Humperdinck and drink fish bowls of beer until those guys came back. And when they came back to town, they brought with them the... Uh, uh, the drug culture from Vietnam. They brought back bongs with them and and marijuana, and we planted the seeds and grew our own weed and made our own hashish and sat around, uh, you know, smoking weed and and uh, 
you know, in those days, acid was a big deal. The, the psychedelic movement was underway. Uh, the make love, not war movement. Uh, and so we kind of fell into that genre of thinking. Um, all of us, you know, all, all my friends and everything like that, and we pretty much just what we called party really was just insanity. So a new, uh, I guess you might say a new form of life took over. Besides being homeless, I became a uh, alcoholic, then a dopehead, and then began to run with uh, bikers and began to build my own motorcycles. And they weren't, you know, small little bikes. That about the that the Beach Boys were singing about uh, GTOs and Hondas. Now, I was building a nine-foot-long Harley chopper to ride with uh, the Avengers Motorcycle Club. And and uh, probably, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this podcast right here. Sure. I was being probated uh, for the Avengers Motorcycle Club. And it was about that time in uh, 1971, uh, homeless, uh, alcoholic, drug addict, uh, a wannabe biker, that uh, the grace of God, uh, unbeknownst to me, was pursuing me. And uh, uh, a pastor, and and I I need to give him his props. I've got to give him his credit. Uh, Pastor James K. Pope. Right. uh, He was a pastor at... uh, uh, Crossroads Baptist Church, and I guess through a series of circumstances, uh, he began a uh, an assembly of people that evidently had come from the church where he was the pastor, and they met together uh, in a warehouse that was on Route 60, a very small little warehouse, and uh, there were some wonderful things about that little assembly. We might call the church today. Um, Pastor Poe was really skilled at going out among unsaved people and presenting the gospel to them. Right. Well, we're going to have to wait until next week to hear part two of this interview with Brother Barry as he shares his testimony of how he came to know Jesus Christ and how God has used him as a result of that salvation testimony. Well, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this time with Brother Barry as much as I have. Uh, Barry and I have been friends for many, many years, and it's so good to reconnect with him here, and uh, it's so generous of him to share his testimony with you folks, and uh, I hope it's a blessing to you. If you're out there today and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you were like Barry Smith and you didn't uh, know Jesus Christ, if you were like old Jerry Lake here who didn't know Jesus Christ, and then one day Jesus came along and found us and we received him as our personal Savior, if you're in that boat today, I urge you to reach out and meet Jesus Christ. He will change your life forever. Well, it's been good to be with you guys today, and I certainly hope you'll join us for the next episode. 
uh, as we uh, air part two of our interview with Brother Barry Smith. But until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye. Goodbye.